As it's still a spooky time of year and with quarantine, it's hard to get out and have some fun, Danny and I have a chilling at-home activity for you and your friends. It is called The Haunting at Home and is a ghostly interactive online audio experience that you can do in your own home or cabin in the woods, whatever's your cup of tea. This audio will take you through a series of paranormal experiments, so grab some friends, turn the lights down, and have some spooky fun. You can use our code SCAREDTOPLESS for 20% off and let us know if you have any experiences that are spooky. We'd love to hear your stories. If you are interested, you can visit The Haunted Walk on Instagram or go to hauntedwalk.com. Welcome to the Scared Topless Podcast. Here at Scared Topless, we talk about investigations and discussing true crimes, conspiracies, paranormal, and everything in between. This week, I, Tyler, the producer, am going to be taking the mic to discuss something a little offbeat, but I would say just as interesting as everything we usually talk about. Today, we are going to be discussing some of the dark secrets of the Pokemon universe. So, everyone here today... I, I think it's kind of dumb to have to ask this, but like you guys have heard of Pokemon, of course. Yeah, I know yeah. Pokemon. Um, like, play the game. Yeah, n- like I played the game like on Nintendo Switch, and then like mm-hmm. growing up, like you kind of just know about it. Yeah. Like I know, but I never really got into it in terms of the playing cards or knowing the types or you know. I think the most that I know is. Um, Ash Ketchum. Okay. So yeah, the anime and stuff Pikachu, like that. Pikachu. And then I played, yeah, like I said, the Nintendo Switch game, Pokemon Go. Oh, and the app too. An yeah, app. Pokemon Go. Pokemon Go was big for me. That's probably all I know. Yeah, that took over the world, what, like a handful of years ago. Just yeah. Everyone was that was 2016? Outside. Bro, it was a while ago, yeah. Well, Bro, 2016 was crazy. Anyways, okay. Yeah, it was like, well, well, they still so, play that game in Japan. They still sure. do, yeah. I was playing it up until 2018, not gonna lie. I'm a bit nerd. Yeah, well, okay, we've been known. <laughs> yeah. We've been known. Um, but for the most part, like, you know, Pokemon has kind of taken over the world multiple times. This is huge craze. A lot of people's introduction to anime and mm-hmm. Japanese culture. And, you know, it's a large part of a lot of people's childhood, right? For me, I remember waking up on, like, Saturday afternoons just to watch Pokemon on channel, like, what, 25, YTV, stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I totally forgot about that. Yeah, and, like, when I when I started doing research for this episode, there were so many moments where it just triggered, like memories that are so deep in my brain that i forgot were there yeah like there was a, i was talking to a friend and he 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 started humming the lyrics to one of the to the pokemon song and i i i for like on beat remembered everything about like all the lyrics it was mm-hmm. crazy it was like a memory dragged out of your like the recesses of, your of brain. my mind yeah <laughs> it's actually really funny so not too well-known fact about Pokemon is that there's kind of a dark side to it, right? And for a children's series primarily, you know, there's a long list of, like, questionable characters. And I think this is probably, like, probably the easiest way to, like, introduce the idea that there's a darker side to Pokemon. They're not just all lovable characters and sweet faces and just, you know, companions, but instead they're... You, you dig into the lore, Right, the the stories, the fables, the folklore within this the this uh, series, you start to discover that there are some parts of it that are kind of sinister, right? Um, 
for example, there's a Pokemon in the fourth generation called Drifloom, and in its first, like, uh, like being showcased in the, in the series, it's known to kidnap kids by carrying them. Yeah, um, just by carrying them out into the sky, and then like they'll never be seen again by their parents. It's a ghost type flying Pokemon. Oh, that's weird. Wait, is this in the TV shows? It is. Yeah, this this one shows up in the TV shows. Yeah, it's kind of uh, weird, right? That, it's like that's, that's that's creepy. Yeah, that's creepy. Why would you put that? Yeah, there's a there's a Pokemon who eats the dreams of naughty children. Drowsy. That's drowsy. Yeah. Okay, Drowsy is the one Pokemon that I actually am aware of, and that freaks me out. It's 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 so offbeat with what most people would expect Pokemon to be, right? And I think that's super interesting. One that's not necessarily paranormal, but like kind of more of a sadder story is Cubone. And Cubone, for those uninformed, so cute. super super cute so Pokemon cute. walking around with like its little club, and he pretends he's like this big old badass or whatever. Oh yeah, his helmet is the skull of his dead mother. That is so... Who creates the backstories for these Pokemon? I don't know. Because that's like... I think they're projecting. <laughs> projecting what? I don't know. Like, Them wearing the, no, their like mother's Soro. skull. No, like sorrows and like depression and like anxiety. Like mm-hmm. the eating the dreams part. Like that's so projecting. Like that's just like... That means you have no dreams or something or maybe you don't feel like accomplished and like maybe someone ate your dreams kind of when you were a kid so then you're just putting them in a pokemon like as a fictional character yeah i see that yeah because a lot of animators and a lot of people and like directors or whatever if they a lot of times when they create like a tv show or a movie or even sometimes the best way like kids um cartoons like they'll often project sometimes their trauma in that very um show or whatever and like oh like you know i just felt like the character they just represent me in some ways and obviously maybe it could be in um over exaggerated Mm -hmm. um part but like you know just like little tiny bits of pieces they they take they take from reality they take from reality exactly yeah that that and because it's a fictional character they can have like the creative freedom to like make it into something like so much bigger larger scarier etc exactly so yeah that's really interesting um there's another one to go down my list like dust skull loves crying children and will purposefully startle bad kids by passing through walls and scaring them into crying for help that's sad that's just malicious yeah that's mean it's just mean like it's a meanie bro and so this is one of my favorite ones because it's it's actually like probably the scariest one um there's one called Fantuff, um and according to the tales these pokemon are possessed by the spirits of children who had died when they were lost in the forest holy shit yeah so they're just they're just reincarnated versions of these dead children that you can capture in a pokeball so i guess in a sense you're just using in battle like the spirits of dead children oh my god yeah, that's, that that's messed. That is such a weird... I can't even wrap my head hey, around that. Yo, I don't know where I read this, but it kind of reminds me of, like... Or maybe I just had, like, a super high thought, but I feel like I'm not the first one to, like, think of this. Like, 
I'm not sure where in my thoughts this had landed me to think this, but shouldn't like Pokemon like aren't they animals and shouldn't they have like rights? Uh, yeah, I guess. What? I guess, like, like, where did that come from? So maybe <laughs> I thought that because I don't know if I read that or re- or like whatever, but like if you capture Pokemon, right? Technically, it's under the capture <laughs> and it's in the Pokeball, so shouldn't Pokemon have, like, fucking rights? Like, they should be able to have, like, freedom. Like, you know what I'm trying to say? They're animals at the end of the day. We fight for animal they're, yeah, they're rights. Yeah, companions. So, like, PETA. Yeah. yeah like shouldn't PETA. there be, like, in the show, like, shouldn't there be, like, a law for Pokemon to protect them? Um, so they're not being fucking tortured, like, because if you if you really talk about the dark side of Pokemon, I can totally see this in the universe of Pokemon or whatever. Someone like abusing like a Pokemon. Yeah. Oh my god! It's, it, yeah, that's a thing. It's it's actually shown in the anime too. <gasps> exactly. Yeah. Like, okay, here's a good example. When you put your Pokemon for battles, are they willingly wanting oh my god, it's to like battle? Fight, kind yeah. Of- are do they? Does the Pokemon no. want to fight? Or are you forcing them up against and feeling like in the game, obviously at the end of the day at the end of the day, you're putting them in a game, whatever, that's a, it's a whole fictional thing. But then you see like health loss and then you have to take your Pokemon to the hospital and then like you get them like all energized. But like if that was a reality, like Yeah, like what ideas are you putting in children's minds? Children's heads that then, they're putting their Pokemon to fight and risking their lives for what? Like, is this condoning violence? Question mark? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, you, you bring up a really interesting point because, like, if you actually look into research about this, PETA is like the the yeah yeah. They do not like Pokemon. Oh. They can't stand it. So maybe they I speak d- out against it all the time. But isn't what- PETA like not official? Okay, Peter's also pretty like they're, shit. Though. Yeah, they're yeah. they're very controversial. They're, what their intention is the fight for animal rights and freedoms and stuff like that, like that against you know animal cruelty and stuff like that. But I think part of what the media or their own media has presented them as is like extremist, which oh. often gives them a bad rep, Mm-mm. right? But when they speak out against Pokemon, it's it's really interesting because what they're arguing is that they're kind of teaching children that this type of animal what they would call abuse is okay right like because at the end of the day pokemon they are just fighting against each other so then i guess i guess one of their main concerns is like really and truly what they're teaching and you know kind of like indoctrinating into the minds of these children so that's a really interesting prospect um if you want to think more critically about it like it's just it's just I would say a sinister reflection of the world we kind of live in because we do take advantage of animals in in real life all the time right whether yes. that's for our, our like think about the meat industry mm-hmm. right like how much we really and truly how much a damage is doing to our environment but b how much we're we're creating all these animals just to be you know killed and eaten and stuff like that and yeah in, in any world where we care about the rights or whatever about animals and stuff like that and you know like compassion as fellow creatures of this earth that that's really questionable yeah um but that that kind of world kind of dives into something is which is a separate thought from pokemon that i wanted to go down but i'm glad that you guys mentioned it 
Yeah, because I just thought of that. I, I think maybe that's where the I've read that. Yeah, I've, I've definitely seen like it, it on the internet. Before. Yeah, like it's somewhere, it's somewhere in my mind that like it was subconsciously there when mm. you brought it up. So I'm like, oh, but I'm not saying like at the end of the day, Pokemon is just like a TV show. So yeah, um, so let me let me start kind of diving into one of there's many different kind of stories within the fan community of Pokemon that have found its way onto the internet and found its way into like the weird parts of you know the community where it's just like with it being so large and intended for kids of course there's going to be someone out there who has some sort of story that's negative or sinister malicious or just creepy about it yeah this is called the lavender town syndrome and you know like for the fans of the original series of the Pokemon games, which were initially called Red and Green in Japan, Pocket Monsters. They were released in like 1996. They would recall a spooky setting in a town called Lavender Town. It's home to like a seven-story uh, Pokemon tower filled with the gravestones of deceased Pokemon. And, you know, you fight through the entire level. Each level has so many trainers and ghost Pokemon you'll fight, and there's a whole narrative and story behind it. The setting behind it is really spooky and the ambiance that's created by the music, specifically the music, and I'll come back to that, really, even when I first played it and I was a little bit older, it was still unsettling. Um, I think I played the, something like this in the Pokemon like Switch game. I, you know what? I think I think it does uh, make an appearance in some way. I think I, I think, yeah, this sounds familiar. Yeah, so like in terms of like the the plot of it, you're essentially fighting your way to the top to meet a Cubone. And as I mentioned earlier, Cubone, the whole idea is like he's wearing the skull of his mother, right? And he's grieving about it. Lavender Town in the game sets the tone for the story that I'm about to tell you, right? This sinister ambiance of uncertainties and creepy vibes. Um, it involves a restless Pokemon spirit that, you know, is kind of haunting the the town all of this is to say that lavender town is just a weird and creepy and so dark in contrast to the rest of like anything else in the series like it's very jarring when you when you think of it in like a macro perspective right like there's no other parts of you know the pokemon game that is this dark and like overtly sinister um especially when it comes to death because death when it comes to kids is something that a lot of parents, I don't know about you guys, but my parents kept me f as far away from that as possible. Right? Yeah. Um, it's not an easy... Yeah. I think my parents, too. Yeah. ...thing to talk about. My, my parents kept kids. me as far... Like, if I had a, a family member who passed away or something like that, you know, they would very gently explain the idea to me. Mm -hmm. Right? It was never something that was so overt in your eyes. While, because this game is meant for children, it's really interesting the choice that the creators would make to have it so jarring, contrasty, and different, and specific, because this is part of the main plot line of the story. Like, you have to go through this area. Mm -hmm. um, so, scouring the depths of the internet, um, I found something when I was young, I found this, I think I was at the age of like nine or 10, of what was called Lavender Town Syndrome. Right, and it kind of tells a story, and it's locked in the deep depths of the internet that you can't really find. 
right nowadays. So I had I actually do some some digging for this, and I found the exact same version of the story that I read when I was nine. Now this is a bit of a longer story. There's a lot of elements to it, and there's different variations of it too. But I'm gonna give you kind of the shortest version of it with a couple ideas of the real world implications that this specific town within the game had on Japanese kids, school kids, um, back in back in 1996. During the first few days of the release of Pokemon Red and Green in Japan, back in February 27th, 1996, a peak of deaths appeared in the age group of 10 to 15. The children were usually found dead through suicide, usually by hanging or jumping from heights. However, some were f were more odd. A few cases recorded children who had begun sawing off their limbs, others sticking their faces inside the oven, and some of them choking themselves with their own fist, shoving their arms down their throat. Few of the children who were saved before killing themselves showed sporadic behavior, and when asked why they were trying to hurt themselves, they only answered in chaotic screams and scratched at their own eyes. When shown what seemed to be the connection to this attitude, which was their Game Boy, they had no response. But when combined with either Pokemon Red or Green, the screams would continue, and they would do their best to leave the room that it was locked in. So this was all confirmed by the authorities at the time that the games were somehow connected to these children and all of these deaths. Oh, what the hell? Yeah, it was a strange case because many of the children who had played the same game also did not show this behavior, but, you know, like a small few had. Wait, is this real? Or is this a story? It's from, like, I... You can search for trying to like real documentations about it, and you won't find a lot. You will find stories of suicides and sporadic behavior right around this time, but nothing that's directly right. correlated to this. Okay. You also got to take into consideration this is Japan, so like finding Japanese articles on the internet about this at that time is kind of like you're you're okay, you're, yeah. you're, you're really searching through like a needle in a haystack. Type yeah. Thing, right. It's okay. it's incredibly difficult to find real information about all this that's documented um a lot of from my r recollection of when i did my research a lot of it came from like new local newspapers in japan mm. right oh, that, that, would, that would that would that would be covering this but it's hard to say you know like because first of all like you don't want to blame it on this video game because yeah. then it just becomes like a sense of fear-mongering within like the media Mm -hmm. And the way Japanese culture is, like, they don't really put all this evil stuff in the forefront of their media, right? Like, here in the Western world, like, American media and culture, like, because there's a market for uh, the way we present media and, you know, studying that for the past four years, we start to recognize that, you know, ratings and the numbers and the getting people to watch and interesting in order for them to maintain some sort of ad revenue to keep, you know, advertisers invested in all these news companies to say, hey, we were going to continue to fund you guys. What we do is we put a lot more of our evil, scary stuff at the forefront of our media. But this that's not necessarily the case over in Japan. Right. Okay. Yeah. So that's actually a great question, though. Thank you for mentioning that. Um, 
this was all confirmed by authorities under the suspicion that the game was somehow connected to the children's and their deaths. It was a strange case because many of the children of the games who played the games did not show this behavior, but only a few did. So the police had no choice but to pursue this since they had no other leads. Collecting all the cartridges these children had purchased, they kept them, sealed them away as strong evidence to look over later. And they decided that the first thing to do was to talk to the programmers themselves. The first person that they met was the director of the original game, Satoshi Tajiri, who, when told about the deaths surrounding the game, seemed slightly uneasy, but at the end admitted nothing. He led them to the main programmers of the game, the people responsible for the actual content, and the de detectives met Takanori Ota, one of the main programmers of the game. Unlike Shitoshi, he did not seem uneasy, but very kept, explaining that it was impossible to use something like the game to, use, to be connected to such deaths, and bringing it up to the point that not all the children were affected, brushing it off as some sort of odd coincidence or mass hysteria. It seemed like he was hiding something, but he wasn't giving it away. So that's that's a very small, like, snit, like, tad bit of the whole story. And mm -hmm. this goes on for pages upon pages, and you could look into it just by quickly looking it up on Google. Um, but, you know, the character behavior behind this seems so interesting, right? You know, the way it describes the programmers as almost brushing it off, and the main head director seeing being seeing like uneasy that someone had done something to their game because this is the first game in the poke in the pokemon series so like if they were as a representative a representation of nintendo which at the time was a huge huge video game conglomerate that was pushing so much content and making so much money and a big representation of japan at the time what it means is the if any sort of negative media or marketing or anything regarding them it would tarnish the name of uh, the company and would also tarnish the name of, in a sense, Japan too. Because yeah. a lot of people's first interactions with Japanese culture came through video games, anime, that type of media. Any sort of relationship to murders, deaths, suicides, and or sporadic behavior behind yeah, children. doesn't look good. Bro, that's not good. No. Mm -hmm. Right? That looks really, really bad. Yeah. Yep. So it, it presents itself in this way that it leads down this path of like, we need to protect our children, mm -hmm. right? And this becomes like a really big issue later down the road. So that's the story. And this is kind of moving on to like what Lavender Town Syndrome is. The Lavender Town Syndrome, also known as the Lavender Town Tone or the Lavender Town Suicides, is related to a peak of suicides and illnesses within children shortly after the release of Pokemon Red and Green in Japan back in 1996. Rumors say that these suicides and illnesses only occurred after the children had reached Lavender Town, whose theme music had extremely high frequencies, and studies showed that only children and young teens were able to hear these frequencies since their ears are more sensitive, which is a real thing. Yeah. Right? Like, you do any sort of, like, formal research on the the way that our ears develop over time, it's really interesting that, you know, over time, you always hear about oh, older people going deaf, mm -hmm. right? And younger kids being more susceptible to higher frequencies and the whole idea of children being more susceptible to, like, energies and stuff like that as well, right? That's just because um, the way that their bodies are built, they're sensitive, they're sensitive, like, their neurological systems are full of all of these, haven't fully grown into their body yet. 
and that's a very very interesting thing especially when it comes to tones and sonics and the way we understand frequencies because the whole idea is and this kind of relates back to a conversation we had a very very long time ago about the way that frequencies in um relate to the ghosts right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that yeah. they could communicate at levels that we just don't understand because our human ears can't communicate that way right we just don't understand it the same way that you know marine bio biology like they're animals like porpoises and whales etc they communicate on the same frequencies right but they're so high up there that we can't perceive what's being said well in this case what they're suggesting and this is what i think is the most terrifying thing is that there's some sort of correlation between the theme music the high-pitched frequencies that are placed in the game and its connection to lavender town and the with these deaths and these children Although, you know, Lavender Town now sounds completely different depending on the version of the game you get, the mass hysteria that was caused by the first Pokemon game that was uh, released is still found within the, the, the media that's hidden beneath Pokemon, mm. right? And that's why I think it's so interesting because it's not something people talk about. It's almost like it's... it's like you're never gonna hear this it's story. Buried. It's very swept under the rug. I've never heard anything about that. Yes, yeah. Um, so once the American version or like an updated version of this game came out, they changed the theme music. So by the time it came to the states and was mass produced here in an English version of the game, the sound of the music is substantially lowered. So it's no longer of that high beepy frequency that you know, like they were used to. Yeah. Right. Interesting, right? Interesting, interesting, That interesting. is very interesting. And if this is true, that is very scary. Mm-hmm. So the programmer is what? They they did that intentionally? Who knows? Yeah, it's who knows. So be- before, we, before we start talking about like, you know, trying to analyze and kind of look at all of it, do you guys want to hear it? I do. I was yes. actually going to ask, yeah. do, you have a, do you have an audio clip? Yes. So you can find audio clips of this all over YouTube. There are um, versions that have been pitched up, pitched down, played in reverse, transposed into piano. There are versions that have been analyzed by like special audio equipment. I don't know the, the nuances of that, where it'll give off really creepy vibes and stuff like that. But what I want to do is I'm going to show the original version, mm-hmm. right? So you can kind of get a sense of it. Wait, wait, wait. So before you play this, Tyler, again, Lavender Town was, was it like a no man's land where ghosts were? Yeah. So it, like dead uh, of dead Pokemon. It had, it was home to essentially a Pokemon graveyard. Okay. Yeah. So I have heard that before. 
you, that that tune. Yeah. So yeah. I guess like in the game, th- there probably was an altered version of that tune. Maybe not the same frequencies or tone, but I've heard that, or maybe I've heard that like you know probably in the creepy video or something. Mm-hmm. Like a snippet or something. Yeah. It, it, it did. It did find its way into like other forms of medium to just kind of represent like creepy vibes and stuff like that. Yeah. Okay. I'm trying to imagine that with the visuals of Lavender Town. And I don't like it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, this is creepy, honestly. This is really creepy. So there's a version of it played backwards that I, I'm going to show a quick snippet of, and then we can talk a little bit of analysis, too. Oh my god, it's so unsettling. That one is creepy. It's so unsettling. I don't like that. That yeah. one just gave me the goosebumps. I hate that. And there's this whole thing about like when music or audio or anything is played backwards, you can kind of get a sense of um like it like just like weird things happen when you play music backwards. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And I've listened to this before. I found out about this when I was a kid. To this day. It is still unsettling. It is very unsettling. Yeah, and like like I said, like um, the playing music backwards. I guess, like I remember when in my courses, um, my professor he played a couple songs backwards, and I always knew this since I was maybe nine or ten about like the Illuminati and when like an artist sings. Like if you play it backward, they're singing like it's chanting like something about the devil, and like um, there's this whole thing about it. and it's just so weird. Something sinister about it. Yeah, like I think it's in Beyonce. Like I think it was Pink Floyd they he brought up. I don't know. There's a couple artists that he brought up that it's weird. Or even like I think it was the Beatles is one of them. No, mm. not the Beatles. Yeah, I think no. I'm, I'm so sure of it. But it's like just playing any songs backwards and like the way it sounds it's so gross. Like I remember hearing that a lot when I was like ten. I don't know why I used to research shit like that. I wonder, um, the piano, what, uh, what notes they're playing. Really, isn't, really isn't there like a certain audio and it's said to, it's like the audio, the certain notes when you hear them is the, um, like represents the devil, something like that. I wonder if anyone analyzed that from, like, you know what I'm talking about? You've never heard that? It's like the devil's sound. And I think it was like an E mine. I don't even, I don't want to make shit up right now. But I've, I don't know. Have you heard of that, Tyler? Like, do you know what I'm talking about? Um, I, I, not, not specifically. Because obviously. They represent the devil or, or what are you, what are you trying to say? Like, I heard this in a podcast and they were talking about like a specific tone, like a, Okay, I don't know, just... Um, I wonder if anyone analyzed that audio and they found that it had, I don't know. Yeah, we could definitely look into that. Maybe we can even cover that as a future episode. I would be really interested in that, yeah. Yeah. As someone okay. who, who's, like, big on music, sonics, and just, like, aud- everything, audio, yeah. I think that'd be really interesting. And apparently, like, once you hear it, you can never, like, you're marked. I don't know. That's I've I've heard this before in another podcast. I'm gonna I actually want to look into it. If that's something we're all interested in, I think that could be put 
we'll put it in the books. Put it. We'll put it in the books. <laughs> mm-hmm. Add it to the agenda. So when it comes to the whole story, right? And we, I guess we can start to kind of like break it down. Like Lavender Town Syndrome is kind of like really spooky. And for me, it's very memorable because of the context is placed within the Pokemon universe of all things, mm-hmm. right? Having such a connection to it when I was a child, finding it when I was a child, and when I was nine years old, seeing that it was affecting people within my age range, that terrified me. You know, like, it, it really stood the test of time because of, like, almost like a seductive nature to it that, you know, because it's someone kids who are my age at this time being affected by it it's just it grabs you right it makes you want to learn more about it and i remember you know sitting for hours with my cousin just like listening to the lavender town like do you feel anything are you okay and i remember this very vividly vividly in his basement we sat there we were just like listening to it while playing like mario party and we were just like i don't know but i feel really really uncomfortable yeah it's those types of experiences that are you know ingrained in our childhoods that i I guess our parents can't really protect us from because obviously our parents can't hear these tones that might be affecting us Mm -hmm. right so what it does is it isolates a very specific demographic of people who it can affect right and it gets into our heads that you know if i listen to this no one can protect me from what might happen. No one can protect me for what I might do to myself. Mm-hmm. And as a result, it's just playing on uh, the minds of children, which is terrifying, terrifying, forcing kids to act in such erratic behavior, harming themselves, and worst of all, potentially killing themselves as a result. Mm-hmm. I think that it's it's really interesting because of the fact that it affects only children. That's absolutely terrifying. Yeah. But there's so many things in the media that only affects children, though. What do you mean by that? And it's and it's like, targeted, like, what adult... Sorry to interrupt, but what adult is playing... I mean, obviously, adults play Pokemon, but, like, I feel like, like you said, it, it was targeted more to children playing mm-hmm. Pokemon. Like, that's how it was. So, like, adults wouldn't even be... Like, you wouldn't see that. Yeah. Not, so you can't not, really not, even, yeah. like you said, protect your kid. Not at that time, because I think there are adults nowadays who will play Pokemon. Yeah. But that's a lot of, I would call a result of nostalgia. Yeah. Because it's like, oh, I played this as a kid. Mm, yeah. You know, this means a lot to me because, you know, when I was a kid, this is something that, you know, reminds me of, you know, safe childhood and, you know, like a sense of security and just losing yourself in a story. But at that specific time and era, you know, adults weren't playing this. And if even when this were you know this erratic behavior was going on, no one knew what was happening. Yeah, like you said, they were they completely were able to isolate kids, children from anyone that could like adults that would be able to maybe help them because they're not seeing it. That's so fucked. Yeah, that's so scary. And so to like take- you're corrupting the minds of children. Yeah, and that's that's why um, when going back to the main part of the story where they reference almost um, well, they describe it as it felt as if the the main director or of the programmers was like kind of brushing something under the rug, mm-hmm. right? Pretending like they weren't even uneasy about it, just saying this this doesn't happen. That creates a narrative where it's like, was this 
put there intentionally it raises that question right maybe was this some sort of sick joke that the programmers were playing because maybe they were bullied as a kid and they just wanted like all these kids to you know know what it feels like to have you know such harm and bad things happen to you oh my yeah God. like i said before projecting mm-hmm. and sometimes like i'm not even joking guys like yeah like in the media sometimes there is programmers and or maybe some people do things to you know contact little kids and make them feel uncomfortable like in video games and online multiplayer stuff like there's adults that you know go after little kids and like maybe this is one of the first early cases i guess you could say where programmers you know knew about this um frequency that you know how it affects children and stuff like that and they knew that it would put very unsettling i guess feelings and stuff like that so definitely very creepy i i am probably leaning more towards the side that it was a little bit purposeful because you gotta take into consideration after this happened to the public the only thing that they changed about the game was the language and that tone the theme music for that town changed Mm. there other than that there's not a lot of major changes the programmers would have done right that's just so random like why just change that one tone of the game you know what i mean like okay maybe if they changed a couple of but specifically that one it's just so why why that adjustment yeah that's weird right it's you it's have to question very it very interesting because based off the narrative we've created and the way that you know we articulated it almost seems as if that they oh, maybe they knew right maybe they did Maybe it was some sort of sick joke. Um, the fact that you know a lot of these suicides and these stories happened in Japan is also, I would say, important. Just considering geography and everything that I mentioned about Nintendo and you know their media representation of themselves and how you know they were becoming like an emerging market in gaming, which, lo and behold, twenty years later, you know they're one of the biggest influencers when it comes to video games and you know content created for kids and all of that type of stuff um when we consider that it's in japan it gets really hard for fact checking right as was something that we mentioned earlier and i would like to go back to because like in order for us to look through all the japanese interviews and stuff like that one we're going to be relying on translations from japanese to english b this was pre-internet so not a lot of that stuff is documented nor is it held accountable like can we hold it to be as honest and truthful as a result of it being translated right from one language and then also put onto the weird parts of the internet that we might we can't necessarily trust yeah right but the fact that it was able to and this is the way um i I would describe it is it it goes through one threshold and it goes through another threshold and it goes through another threshold of all these barriers to keep it tied down and it finally leaks through onto fan community forums of the pokemon series Mm. so there has to be something there right whether it's all fictitious or these are true stories that were able to be disseminated through the internet because of at that time the open nature of the internet right where you can kind of post all these things and 
the media or like media companies that represent uh, Nintendo, they're not going to be able to control what is being said or being heard. And as a result of that lack of control, the more sinister, dark, ending, creepy things, for example, deaths within or suicides within children, that can finally find its way to leak into the weird part of the internet. And then find its way on to, you know, the demographic that it affects the most, which is children. Yeah. In its all, with a lot of these points that I mentioned, this story, this syndrome, these, um, this legend, it, it holds a very powerful mystique, right? It, it holds a really powerful energy that we can hold on to and think about critically, because no one would think that, you know, the cause of all these deaths would come from something as innocent as a Game Boy game, right? Yeah. It's kind of unbelievable. You tell someone that they're, they, they're like, nah. Yeah, like, it wouldn't be linked, and then that goes back to the whole controversy, like, um, what is it? The video games affect violence in children and et cetera, et cetera, that whole debate. Yeah. Because people are like, no, it's not, uh, like, video games and the medium doesn't contribute to that. So that would spark up the argument. Yeah. So that that's kind of ends my, my whole spiel and conversation about this story. It, it has a very special place in my heart because it's connected to my childhood and it's connected to something that I think is so that has such a large mass appeal for so many people. So I think it's an interesting conversation to have, right? Um, I can't even imagine you as a child, like looking into this, I would just be terrified because you're putting yourself in the place of that nine-year-old and you're like, that could be me. Like I play this game. I could be affected by this. Their kids are committing suicide. You know, that's just so... I'd go to bed and have nightmares and just be terrified that this shit is going to affect me I and just make me do something. I also feel like the thought... Already, like, the thought of, like I said, children and death already creep me out. Like, you know, uh, ghost children and or murders or within, you know, victims of children and whatnot. But then... I don't know, I've always felt so uneasy because they're so innocent and it's children and they just started life. But then children that are involved with suicide is like, um, honestly, a really uneasy topic and something really hard to swallow. And just I'm just like thinking about this and if children were to watch media or if there's like a sound that made them react a certain way to make them feel like they need to harm themselves is like so sinister and like for someone to if programmers if that was their intent then that's just like so fucked up for me and I feel like I don't know I feel like this is the whole thing with our podcast is that every episode or everything that we research like you just honestly realize how fucked up the world can be I was gonna say like you're really uncovering we're uncovering all the evil that exists in our world and there's yeah, a no. there's a shit ton of it because a lot of even like sub, um a lot of symbolism in our media we've seen it since we were kids and it brainwashes us, us from kids mm-hmm. and like you know all the way from treehouse and like it could be as light as like for example 
the family roles that you see in in treehouse right like you have your family it shows that the dad's working the mom's at home and then the brother and the sister for example like berenstein bears or whatever and then you continue to see that because the media doesn't want us to see like an anything other than the regular family but then that's like the lightest of brainwashing then there goes more into it sometimes it's the pictures it's what they're doing with their hands subconsciously that we see it's um all those things like for me growing up my mom she didn't let me my brother watch um Yu-Gi-Oh one of them was Yu-Gi-Oh because it like had the triangle yeah and like the eye and like my mom's like that's Illuminati that's like the eye of Horus or I don't even know something like that I haven't really looked into it but that's kind of what I remember and I think also my mom didn't want my brother to play Pokemon see for me I didn't really have much of a problem because I was interested in other things like Barbies and Bratz and stuff but Mm. my brother wanted to play Pokemon and my mom didn't let him because she was I'm not sure why she didn't I have to ask her and also same thing with Harry Potter she didn't let me and my brother watch Harry Potter because she was like oh that's magic like (laughs) like you know (laughs) and it's like it leads it's like in a way I do understand it because it's like coming from a Christian Catholic point of view it's like if your child is were to get heavily inspired by it and they're like, oh, I'm going to create my own spells. And she's like, and I think this is when we go back to witchcraft is like, if you generally believe it, that what you're doing and it's like a kid, like not even a game, if he generally thinks he has like this magic and let's say for, I don't know what reason you want to create like an something evil per se, then technically that could happen. If you really believe it, if we are really going to talk about I witchcraft. I think kids are just really impressionable, and so it's easy to get into their heads. And Yeah, that's why my mom didn't let me watch Harry Potter growing up, which I really... That's why like I'm not a big fan of the series. I like it. I've watched it. But as someone I know a lot of people my age that are fans, it's because it's more of a nostalgic feeling, and I don't carry that. So that's, you know, and like it's, it just goes back to the whole brainwashing. And I think maybe Pokemon is one of the darker ones that we never thought to have like a brainwashing or maybe darker feel of um, our sinister feel of the world or whatever. Yeah. We just totally glanced over because it's a very cutesy and lovable. And like the main face of it is Pikachu and and like his friends and like fucking squirtle on the fucking you know <laughs> yeah. front cover like yeah. we don't really see like the darker the ghost um pokemon they kind of just like make their appearance yeah we don't we don't we, yeah it's not in the forefront yeah, yeah and it's actually very it is dark it's and you so wonder sneaky. it's so sneaky. It's sneaky and you wonder like you know why did they even create they don't advertise it's like you need to play the game to get there to get whatever that level where you need to go through that town yeah. and then you hear that music and and even the concept of like death in Pokemon is like odd too it's like no this graveyard or Pokemon because in the show not that I know of you just know that the Pokemon is hurt or in the games you take it to the hospital but never have I played a Pokemon game where my 
I guess Pokemon died and they can never use them again. Yeah, so in a lot of the games or even in the mm. the anime, they reference it, but it's not something that happens to you. Yeah, like, like it's not something that like you can experience, but it's something that you will hear when you read into the dialogues of other other characters. But when I'm eight nine years old, I'm not really reading into the dialogues of the characters. I'm kind of like, ooh, animal animal just go attack bird like. Just like that. Yeah. It's not, I don't really dig that deep into it when it when I was a kid. It was only once I started reading into it later down the road where I started to understand. I was like, whoa, like there's there are parts of this that reflect, you know, like parts of society and, you know, ideas and things that are, aren't necessarily happy to us. Mm-hmm. So I guess one of my fi- I'm really glad that you keep mentioning the whole brainwashing and that that whole idea of it. Um, this is this will probably be my last thing to say about the whole like idea of the story and Pokemon and you know the way that media consumption for children exists is that when we take away the nostalgia factor from when we were kids when it comes to Pokemon and we look at it like objectively, you know it can really be argued that we're supporting systems that perpetuate animal abuse and it supports systems that you know kind of place ideas inside of the brains and the minds of children which is not something that as i'm not a parent but i can understand why you know daniela's mom would be so hesitant to let kids do certain things it's all protective measures and stuff like that um in order for us to like kind of look at you know pokemon as like this monolithic industry you know it's built on the foundation of mind warped children right and tortured pokemon and tortured animals and you know it all starts off with sending an unwilling or unwitting child on a journey into you know the cold hard darkness of this uncertainties within this game that's presented to you in such a positive fun light you you, you picking up what i'm putting down yeah yeah so it really does raise it's a dark concept that they just made it seem that might just yeah that might just be the Karen inside of me that might be just be the over-concerned parent that I might future be down the road yeah but you strip away the nostalgia of like this is just something for fun the systems that Pokemon use and represent they can be considered so dark because the way that you earn money in the game is through using your Pokemon to do battle and defeat and knock unconscious another Pokemon and you earn currency as a result. See, and that's what I was saying earlier in the beginning of the episode where um, the whole thing, like, does Pokemon have the free right? Like, I know it's a funny, I guess, concept because we're talking about a fictional, you know, game. But, like, if you really look into it, it's like, yeah, like, that's kind of a fucked up um, way of the whole reality of Pokemon, like, the universe of Pokemon, right? It's like, you put your Pokemon for battle, you have a whole team, there's trainers, uh, and it's like, nowhere in the, like, in this series, like, it looks like the Pokemon are having fun and they have a big smile and they're ready for the tournament, but, like... (laughs) someone can easily make up like a short story and make this so sinister and make like a yeah like a 
a little animation of Pokemon and be like the dark side of Pokemon and then make it that it looks like, you know, they're in labor and they're practically slaves to their trainers and they're, you know, they're always sad and tired and, you know, there's so many... I feel like in a lot of animation, we often kind of see that kind of um, analogies or whatever it is, rea- like re- relating to society. It could be that they felt, you know, saw the animal industry and like, oh, let's, you know, we could easily turn this around because you honestly get ideas from the world around you and everything. And I think often we see this in shows, and for example, in the anime, The Promise Neverland. No spoilers. I don't know. I, I'm not sure if anyone that listens um, watches anime, but the whole concept of that—it um, it seems like it's a reflection of like real society, which mm-hmm. it honestly is. It is. It hundred percent. It is. And um, so, just like I said, in all animations, we often see that. So I can honestly, I'm not surprised. Or if someone already made like a fucked up version of Pokemon already, that like what I mentioned. There, there, there's some really cool art that people have done of Pokemon characters who have like, a, like in a completely different aesthetic. Like it's all creepy and um, dark and sinister and stuff like that. Like it exists. Oh, okay. Right? Like it's all fan art and stuff like that. It's not canon, but like it's part of the uh, culture in the universe. Yeah. And stuff like that, which becomes really interesting. I, yeah, I think I'm after this episode. I'm just gonna do a quick Google search to see if like what I mentioned what you come across. Yeah, because genuinely, I'm really interested. This was like one of the topics you brought up, Tyler. That I'm like, oh, like I actually want to like Google this. Mm-hmm. I'm glad. I'm glad. I don't have anything else really to say on the topic. I think there are more conversations to be had in general. But I, yeah, I think this was a great discussion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But well, any final thoughts, Jess? I said mine. No, I feel like we covered... I feel like we did, a, like, a good analysis. Mm-hmm. I'm honestly kind of just, like... I don't know what to... I had no idea this existed. So it's it's weird that you brought this up, and now I'm just kind of like, holy shit. Are you, are you starting like, to, like, what rethink else? all of it? Yeah. Like, what else is out there? The same thing. There's yeah. probably so many other similar scenarios that exist, right? This is kind of, like, one of one of the many yeah like there's one and i i I hate to mention this at the end but there is a specific banned pokemon episode um that caused seizures in children in japan i think i've my brother told me about this yeah i watched it as a kid just part of like the culture of like being a kid and loving pokemon yeah and yeah it like i don't not that I know of, I'm not epileptic, but I can. I, I watched the episode. It's regarding po- Porygon, which is just some like digital Pokemon, mm-hmm. and you know, like there is, if I recall correctly, somewhere in the case of like fifty to two hundred cases of epilepsy, holy or, shit, of, of seizures that happened within Japanese kids, and it never really made it to to the U.S. market into the industry. Um, but that's just another element to this, you know. When, when something, and I guess this is the final point, when something gets as big as Pokemon, as universally uh, acclaimed, the giant mass appeal, dubbed into so many different languages, found in so many different cultures, and mm-hmm. you know, found in the hands of so many children specifically, there has to be something at that point with such a large umbrella that gets swept under the rug. Yeah. 
and like you said their industry the industry in japan they kind of a lot of people will want to go to japan because of the anime because of like the game so back then if this were to come out that would have ruined the whole industry for them that could have ruined everything that's millions trillions of dollars lost right so that's also something at the end of the day as an industry they would want to protect themselves exactly exactly well on that note Thank you guys for listening to Scared Topless. Be sure to follow us on social media at Scared Topless for updates on our episodes and let us know what you thought of this week's episode. Also, just want to give Tyler a shout out. Thank you for hosting this episode. You did a really good job. It was really interesting. And yeah, so you guys can email us if you have any future cases you want us to cover or what you want to hear from us next. Until Until then, then, we are your hosts, and we'll see you next time. time.